So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. And welcome to the really big Barbecue Central show. This is the show that talks about all things that are important to the world of barbecue and grilling. The show, of course, originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame City, Bomb City, USA, Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I happen to be your program host. Greg Rippey, happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evenings Alive Fire Fun and Frivolable Show. If you want to get in touch with me this evening, here's how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you get the newsletter, which you can also subscribe to on the main page of the website. By the way, if I might send out a request to any and all listening, especially those that have any kind of a relationship with a website builder, I'm not looking to break the bank, but quite simply, mine is horrible now. It was great 15 years ago. Now it's a little outdated. So I'm looking to bring it into the 2022s of the interwebs. So if you are somebody that builds these things, I'm happy to talk with you a little bit. Contract potentially. Maybe we can get some things going. Maybe you've had some work done by somebody who you're very excited about and happy with the results. I would also like to know about that as well. Please send that along to me, Greg, at the BBQCentralShow.com. Anyway, here we go. Second Tuesday of the month, of course. That means maybe a visit from none other than the creator of the most heavily trafficked barbecue and grilling website ever on the face of the earth, Meathead from AmazingRibs.com. Now, as you would recall, Meathead was set to join us last month, and I'm not sure exactly what happened. No Meathead. However, I can tell you right now, right up front, 100% stone cold lead pipe lock meathead will be in here this evening. And the reason I can be so confident in saying this is that last month at this specific time, as I look in my switcher box, it was a blank screen. Right now, as we are looking at the switcher box, there's meathead right there. Look at showing you right there. There he is. Give me the middle finger. I show. I see. So he's ready to go unless something happens between now and 11 minutes from now. Who knows what could happen? The world could blow up. But at this specific moment, he's ready, locked, and loaded. We're going to be talking about combustion. And who knows what else we're going to be talking about. So Meathead in his 14-pass segment. Then 35 past the hour, 
We will be joined by our now regular second Tuesday of the month guest in the, in the first hour at 35 past, the author of the Q sheet, the barbecue editor for Southern Living Magazine. Perhaps that's the contributing barbecue editor for Southern Living Magazine. He's also now a newly found food critic out there in Charleston, South Carolina. It's our pal Robert Moss. Yes, sir. Robert and I will be talking about grilled cheese and mayonnaise. You would recall last month he was completely unaware that some people put mayonnaise on the outside and versus uh, substituting butter that would go on the outside portion of the bread. A lot of people use mayonnaise. I'm a big proponent of mayonnaise. In fact, I told him as much. And he said, I had never heard of that. He was going to go ahead and give it a whirl and then report back. So we will lead with that in the second interview segment here this evening. And also, we will talk about the Barbecue Hall of Fame. He is a names committee member. That meeting had taken place. And, of course, I will be on promoting the special show that will take place tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern where Emily Park from the American Royal and I will be exclusively announcing the nine finalists' names. And then two weeks from tomorrow, on the 25th, we will be announcing who the class of 2022 is exclusively on the show. That is, of course, unless semi-famous Dave decides to blow his load all over our faces again like he did last year. We're hoping he can keep it tight. The proper people have gotten in touch with Dave, semi-famous Dave, and his social media team and said, put a clamp on it, 2022. Rep, be very, very excited about all of this exclusivity. And really, what's exclusivity if it's all out in the open? You've lost the whole exclusive part. Nevertheless, that's your first hour. Then we'll move to the second hour. This coming weekend is the opening of the biggest barbecue competitions of the year and of course that takes place in tennessee memphis to be exact tim shear from shake and bake barbecue will be joining me to talk about his run-up this coming weekend his pal brad leiniger from getting basted and himself won the pork shoulder category last year a couple kcbs cooks wedging into the mim situation coming out world champs in the shoulder they are not going to try and repeat this year, surprisingly enough, and I'll leave that tease right about there. Also, we'll talk to Tim about his venture into Wagyu cattle and heritage breed pork or some kind of pork that I don't recall ever hearing about before, and I don't remember the name right off the top of my head, so don't press me for it, but it's not Duroc or some other brand of pork that I can't think of right off the top of my head. So he's into all of that too. He was originally a hog farmer, I guess, growing up. And now he's got Wagyu cattle and he's into, it's a Marble Ridge Farms is the name of the business. So uh, Tim is well diversified into this whole live fire situation, shake and bake barbecue competition team. He's founded Gateway Drum Smokers. He also owns Blue Hogs. Now he's got the Marble Ridge, very active. So that's how the show is panning out uh, with any time left over. We are open segment at the end of the show where we'll be giving away $150 Fireboard Spark. So if you're interested in that, you're going to have to get Clubhouse, and I'll tell you how to do that. Don't forget, you can follow me socially, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, at BBQ Central Show. Live video feeds can be found at Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show, also on 
YouTube slash RD Rempe. And as I had mentioned, audibly on Clubhouse as well. So if you want to take part in only listening to the show live, you can download the Clubhouse app and find me there. And if you want a chance to win that Fireboard Spark this evening, you're going to have to be on Clubhouse where you raise your hand. I'll invite you up and we'll play a game, the ever-popular game, Athlete and Porn Star. Everybody loves it. Sweeping the nation now for the fourth time. So let's start here this evening before we get to Meathead, and it's not a frequent thing that a barbecue star comes into town, Cleveland, Bomb City, USA. Bomb City, USA, Cleveland. But this past Wednesday, it did as I got to sit down with Rebecca King, a.k.a. the Bad Jew, who is based in Los Angeles now, but as you might recall, a Clevelander originally now doing her pork strami thing in the City of Angels. We had a great lunch at my favorite place downtown on the west side, Larder Delicatessen, owned by my pal Jeremy Umansky, who I will talk about here in just a second. And then Rebecca and I went just next door to the coffee shop, and laid down a bonus content episode that will hit the podcast feed this coming Saturday. So be on the lookout for that because it's a great one. Secondly, I do want to mention a few folks who have appeared on the show over the last handful of years and congratulating them on their nominations for their most recent books by the James Beard Foundation, the aforementioned Jeremy Umansky of Larder Delicatessen for his book, Koji Alchemy. I thought this was his second nomination, but it's actually his third nomination in as many years. Three years ago, Larder was a James Beard uh, nominated restaurant. Last year, Jeremy was a James Beard nominated chef. And this year he is now a nominated author, which is very accomplished for a guy right here in Cleveland. Uh, used to be a fine dining guy and a great human, by the way. I love Jeremy. Also getting a nomination this year, good friend of the show, Adrian Miller, for his book, Black Smoke. All guests right here on the show over the last few years. Uh, Adrian shows semi-frequently, of course. We're actually working on him coming back to the show, if you can believe it or not. So, kudos all around to those James Beard-nominated folks, Jeremy, Adrian, and thanks again to Rebecca King for joining me last Wednesday over at Larder as she was in town visiting family. And uh, that lady travels with pounds of pork strami like you wouldn't believe. Meathead appears to be in the green room. I'll talk to you quickly about the newest sponsor of the show, Oklahoma Joe's. Since the company's humble beginnings in 1987, Oklahoma Joe's has helped those who appreciate the process and craft of smoking. What began with Joe Davidson, a member of the Barbecue Hall of Fame, and a dozen hand-built smokers at the Oklahoma State Fair over 30 years ago has since forged an Oklahoma Joe's brand that builds some of the most sought-after smokers on the market today. Oklahoma Joe's, a proud history of creating uncompromising smokers and grills with a carefully crafted design in the newest generation of the popular Rider Series pellet grills carries on that tradition. The new features in the Oklahoma Joe's Rider Deluxe pellet grills include the following. A pit control 2.0 system that delivers the category's first dual sensor temperature control. Fire focus dual sensor feedback optimizes temperature control based on 
selected cooking styles, that being low and slow smoking or high heat grilling. Also a power feed system that boasts a high torque auger motor that powers through pellets for incredible power and performance. The new Rider Deluxe series builds on several popular features, including smoke and sear modes, which feature an impressive temperature range that run from 200 degrees to a searing hot 650 degrees if you'd ate it, and a 20-pound quick-draw hopper that allows unused pellets to be drained in seconds for simple storage, removal, and swapping of pellet flavors if you want to do that. The website, of course, OklahomaJoes.com. That's OklahomaJoes.com, or hit the website and click on the logo there. Go that way. Oklahoma Joe's, check them out if you are in the market this grilling and barbecue season. We're back with Meathead. Right after this, stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show, presented by the Ryder Deluxe Pellet Grills from Oklahoma Joe's. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show is being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, creators of automatic pit temperature control technology, makers of ceramic cookers with built-in power draft fans and other accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Visit them at bbqguru.com or call with questions 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continuing to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. My next guest can be found on the internet at the most heavily trafficked barbecue and grilling website. Amazingribs.com And you will find him walking up to bat when he is taking his hack right here to this song. You can't hurry ribs because you can't hurry ribs. If you hurry ribs, what do we know? They're going to be crunchy. They're going to be bad. Nobody wants that. So we race to the hotline and welcome back Meathead to the show. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Wait a second. I think... I think Meathead's fallen asleep again. Oh, no! This can't be happening. Not the second week in a row. Meathead! There he is. Hey, Meathead. I'm gonna... I knew I wasn't gonna get away with that a little bit. All right. All right. I'm gonna start right out by genuflecting, apologizing, and explaining... Meathead, where's your microphone at? Let's stop right now. Where's this microphone? Let's go. What are you doing? Sorry. There we go. I was like, you sound like you're a million miles away. There you go. Greg Greg taught me to eat the microphone. That's right. Um, Last month, I finished dinner, sat down in the easy chair, had a little something to read, and fell asleep. No way. And I slept right through what? right through my appointment. You and I have been talking together at this time on this station for a hundred years. 
and I've never blown you off until last month, and I feel terrible. Well, I don't. I, I would certainly wouldn't call it Not a blow just to off. You, but I, I, I want to apologize to the barbecue centralists, uh, to the audience, um, because I let them down. We will somehow muddle through. Luckily, I was ready to go just in case because I, as I had mentioned in the open, not seeing you in the box even before the show starts, which has been pretty much the norm for the last uh, 10, 12 years. I was like, huh, this is a little weird. So I made sure yeah. I stockpiled and away we went. No problem. We're happy to have you back. Plenty to talk about here in the segment this evening, Meathead. Not the least of which, combustion. We have to have combustion in some form or fashion here as live fire enthusiasts, whether it's big fire combusting in an offset or live fire combusting in a pellet cooker or charcoal Weber smoker bullets are combusting charcoal driven with wood chunks in there for flavoring. So what should we know about combustion? Where do we want to start? Well that that's our main topic and i want to talk at, about that but i also want to jump in briefly oh. on your intro and comment on grilled cheese with mayo oh um, all right cuz i've been doing that i've tried grilled cheese with you know you swab the outside of the bread with either mayo or butter and it became very trendy and i've done side by side and frankly this is going to shock you butter tastes better than mayonnaise <laughs> mayonnaise works really good yep. you get a great crust but uh, and I like to do grilled cheese on a grill, grilled cheese. Yes. But um, I prefer. I have come back around. I tried mayonnaise, and I've come back around to butter. One other thing that you mentioned earlier in the show, the new um, Fireboard Spark. Yeah. It is effing awesome. Mm. I have one. It has become my new favorite grill. I like it better than the Thermopen. It's fifty bucks more than the Thermopen, but it is effing awesome. And I'm not going to get into details because we got to get on to the topic at hand, which is combustion, but uh, uh, people need to pay attention to this new new thermometer. It's very cool. Are you saying that you can detect a flavor when you use mayonnaise versus butter, or there's just a general nondescript flavor difference that you prefer butter no, over mayo? You you can taste butter. Butter has flavor, and you can taste butter on a, on a um, grilled cheese sandwich. Right. I can. Okay. Uh, it's not a huge difference, but I can taste the butter, and butter tastes better. Fair enough. Butter, butter is wonderful. So we were going to talk about combustion. Yes, and it, this is an interesting topic, and it, it 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 goes to anybody who cooks on either gas, charcoal, um, logs, pellets. Um, we're burning something, and that something produces energy, which is we call heat and heat cooks food and also it produces smoke which produces flavor and um there are a lot of things that i have learned about combustion over the years from talking to our science uh, advisor professor greg Pl blonder also um i've talked a lot with bill carew uh, who built the carubicue he's a um, engineer and he understands combustion awful lot and then i've just done a lot of research and all these guys who are out there cooking on uh, on, on on stick burners, and I cook on a stick burner occasionally. And uh, one of the bottom line concepts are is when it comes to oxygen, give it all she's got, Scotty. Yeah. Um, you know we have 
come to think of um, controlling oxygen as a way to control temperature. That is to say, closing down the vents, closing down the chimney, um, starving the fire, and it does control temperature. But what happens is, is it doesn't allow proper combustion of the gases and the byproducts of uh, pyrolysis, of the degradation of the wood or the charcoal. And when you choke back oxygen, you are setting yourself up for some funky flavors. Now, it's important to understand there's uh, smoke it comes in a variety of flavors. Um, I mean, you do not want black, brown, or yellow smoke. They are laden with creosote and other compounds um, that give you funky flavors. White smoke is not bad, but it's not as good as the blue smoke that is the holy grail that everybody seeks. And it's called blue smoke because it's barely visible. And it's barely visible because the particles that have escaped through the combustion process are so small that they don't refract light. Um, white smoke are larger particles and they refract more light. Now, white smoke is not awful and it, it works just fine. But the, the goal, particularly for long and low and slow smokes, is blue smoke. And you get blue smoke by small, hot fires with as much oxygen as you can give it. And if you go and look at these um, top pitmasters at competitions, if you go look at Darren Worth, for example, um, uh, who um, cooks on a jambo, anybody cooking on these um, horizontal offset um, log burning, stick burners, they call them, um, you'll see that often they have the door to the firebox open almost all the way mm -hmm. and the chimney open. And if you look inside, you'll see it's not a lot of wood burning. Um, they will toss on a log every now and then, but they, what's, what you primarily see in there are embers, chunks of wood that have burned down to charcoal. And then they throw a little wood on there and it's hot enough that it will burn off. You know, if you've ever thrown a log onto a, a, a fireplace fire, you see the, in the end of the log, um, you know, the, 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 the phylum and flow on the, the highways that run through tr wood run um, parallel to the surface. So if you throw a log on a fireplace fire, you'll see the very first ignition is some sort of a yellow flame mm. coming from the ends. And those are gases coming out. Now, even before those gases come out and ignite, the first thing that happens is water comes out. Um, if you ha harvest a log from a f live tree, it's gonna be almost 80% water. Um, and you don't wanna burn that. Um, it uses, you use up a lot of energy boiling off the water. And the water boils off, well, you know, in theory, it boils off at 212, but because of all the other compounds involved, it takes it up to about 230, 240, 250 to burn off, but it can't go much higher. So when you throw a log on, and if it's got a lot of water in it, you'll see a lot of white poofy smoke, but it's not really smoke.
it's steam. And that's true of when you soak your wood. Now, almost all the barbecue textbooks tell you if you're cooking with charcoal or gas, to soak the wood. And well, first of all, wood just doesn't absorb a lot of water. And we've done this test. You can see pictures on our website. You can do it yourself. Get yourself a handful of um, uh, wood chips or chunks and weigh them on a kitchen scale and write it down and then soak it overnight in water. And you know, most, most recipes, most barbecue cookbooks say just soak it for an hour or so, but soak it overnight. And then take them out of the water and pat this water off the surface because that's where most of the water hangs out. There's a little fuzz on the surface and it, the surface tension keeps it there. But if you pat the water off the surface, it weighs only three to 5% more than it did the night before. And all that water is trapped on the surface. It doesn't penetrate. That's why they build boats out of wood Yeah, because it doesn't soak up water. So when you take soaking wood chips and throw it on a charcoal fire or even a log fire, what happens is, is that moisture evaporates and it can't burn. It can't combust. It can't smoke until it boils off the water and it boils off the water. It, it's not 212. It's a little hotter than that, but it boils it off in the, in, in the low 200s. And then once the water is boiled off, it'll start spewing out gases, which if there's a spark present or if there's lit coals, they will ignite and you will get combustion and um, things will get rolling from there. Um, your ideal um, smoke temperature is somewhere when the fire is running around 700. Um, and that's where you get your ideal taste of smoke. Um, and, and so if you've got wet wood, uh, all that poofy stuff, you can just hold a mirror up over it and it'll fog up instantly because it's, it's all steam. Um, and so you want to cure your logs. If you're cooking with logs, you got to cure your logs at least six months, often a year. It depends on your climate. Um, the wood will absorb a little water from humidity, but not a lot. But if it's sitting out in the rain or snow, it'll absorb a little. Most people, when they're curing wood, will put a tarp over it or yep. put it on a in a shed undercover. You don't want to bring that wood into your basement because there's potato bugs and all kinds of other garbage in there, um, uh, wood ants and stuff. So you, you want to leave it outside in a shed or under a cover for six months to a year and let it dry out. And the, uh, the, the top pit masters tell me they like it at down around 25% moisture. And you can buy a meter on Amazon mm -hmm. that you can stab a log with. It's got two little prongs and it sends an electrical pulse between it and it measures the resistance from water and it'll tell you how much moisture is in that log. And ideally you want around 25%. Now remember, a fresh cut log is gonna be 80% or so. So it takes a while to get down to 25%. A lot of wood is kiln dried. Now, drying it with a kiln is expensive. It burns up um, petroleum, fuel, uh, so that makes it expensive. And it can also dry it out way too dry. So in general, you want air dry. You want around 25% water. Um, and then when you put, it to, put the energy to it, um, that water will start to evaporate, and then it gets up into the, um, uh, the, uh, 
combustion range or the pyrolysis range. Do we have any idea where the instruction to soak wood chips came from? Do we know where that first started to appear and everybody just latched onto it as gospel? Because I remember when I first started getting into it, there was this uh, doohickey that you could throw a whole bunch of wood chips in, fill it up with water, and then this top spun down to press the wood chips down into the water so it kept them completely submerged. People were making money off of it. Yeah, and when you're dealing with chips, I mean, you can actually absorb some water because it's it's a very thin amount of wood, and so there's more surface area, and it'll gain a little more water than if you're dealing with chunks. But um, I don't know where it came from, Greg. (laughs) It's been around forever, and what you really want, and this goes for gas grills too. A lot of people will tell me that they, you know, they wrap the wood chips in aluminum foil and they'll poke holes in the foil. What you're now doing is you're starving the wood for oxygen. You're causing the wood to smolder. And so you're going to get white puffy smoke, which is okay. But what you really want is you want that wood to ignite. On my gas grill, I get a chunk of wood, you know, maybe the size of a fist and or two or three, and I'll throw it down onto those flavorizer bars right above the burners and I want them to burn. I want them to catch on fire and ignite. And yeah, you go through more wood, but you get better flavor. When we talk about that white puffy smoke, as you had mentioned, the sweet blue is what all the barbecue pitmasters pine for and try to achieve best tasting smoke, as you had mentioned. Uh, for comparison's sake, the white puffy smoke, as you said, not bad, but this is stuff that it, those smoking guns are generating like with the wood dust that people are making smoked manhattans out of unless you're taking it to i've seen a lot of elaborate uh, cocktail things coming down where people are burning boards and slamming glasses down on top of the burning board after they blow it out but that's still more white smoke than blue smoke so that's what you're talking about it's not terrible in flavor it's actually maybe a little bit more potent off the top because it is white uh, so it gives you that pop of smoke that you're looking for yeah i mean if like if you're doing a fillet of fish I mean, you 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 got to hit it with smoke in a hurry because it's only going to cook for fifteen to twenty minutes. Um, so you just need to load her up with smoke. Um, so puffs of white smoke are not the, not not bad, and they, you, it's it's you know what our favorite hobby, our barbecue and grilling hobby, is complicated. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of science involved, a lot of chemistry, and every time you go out and light that grill, gas, charcoal, pellets, logs, whatever. You're starting a physics and chemistry experiment, and um, it, it, it's not so complicated that you got to be a scientist. But understanding the science helps, and if you'll forgive me a little plug here, that's a big part of what our website, AmazingRibs.com, is. We talk a lot about the science, and my book, um, uh, Meathead: The Science of Great Barbecue and Grilling, and uh, understanding some of these concepts. Um, will get you there further and faster um, than just uh, doing what daddy taught you to. We have a couple minutes left, Meathead. Anything on combustion that you haven't covered or other things we'd want to take into consideration as we get to our next cooks? Yeah, there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. I try to deal with it in some articles on AmazingRibs.com. Just go there and search for combustion. Um, There's some interesting questions about the bark on the log. Mm. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? 
Uh, Bill Carew, who Bill, Bill built a, a device called the Karubaku. And the Karubaku is an amazing um, smoker. It's the best smoker I've ever worked on. Um, it burns logs. And what's clever about it is, is you put the wood in and there's a fan that pulls the smoke down through the embers. On most log burners, the embers are below and the wood burns and the smoke goes up and into the smoke, the food chamber. In the Karubaku, the, the smoke goes through the embers, which really burns off the impurities. It's a great device. It's expensive. And you got to sit there and feed the logs. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, you just read, bring a book and a beer. Um, but the, the, the output is fantastic. Bill really understands um, smoke and combustion. And um, he says, I pity the people who chip the bark off their logs. Um, and think it makes that big a difference. And that's fascinating because I've heard a whole bunch of uh, debate on that subject. Um, and, and then the other thing I want to mention, if, if there's enough time here, is that don't obsess over what kind of wood. A lot of people obsess, oh, see, I'm cooking ribs today, so I better have hickory. Tomorrow I'm going to do turkey, so I'm going to switch to apple wood. And then, uh, you know, I can smell the differences between a lot of the woods from the smoke. You can smell them, but I can't taste them. Mm -hmm. Now, I know I've, I've had people say, well, you just have a lead tongue, but I don't, I don't want to get into the braggadocious stuff, but I was the wine tasting champion of Chicago. I was on the USA wine tasting team. I got a pretty good palate. I understand how it works. Um, and I just cannot taste a piece of meat and say, oh, well, that's hickory. Oh, that's mesquite. Oh, that's apple. I can often smell the smoke and say, oh, I think that's hickory. And usually I'm in the neighborhood, but the taste I can't necessarily. So don't obsess over wood. My advice is, is find a wood that you can work with and use it all year round. Stick with it as long as you can until you master fire control. Mastering fire control is important. And that's even important on charcoal. You know, we talk about charcoal. You want the coals glowing and coated with ash. And the reason that they have been accused of putting out bad flavors is, is when cold charcoal is first ignited, it exudes gases that can malflavor the food. So you want to get it fully ignited so that all those gases and you have a nice bright orange flavor on a uh, bright orange color, I should say. On a gas grill, on the other hand, you want a blue flame. Mm -hmm. It's all very complicated, and I've written about some of this, and it's a lot of fun, and it's interesting, and um, uh, uh, maybe, uh, maybe next month we can talk more about charcoal. All right, we'll do that, and I'm with you, Meathead. I don't think I can possibly pick out by taste species of wood. Uh, also, I would agree that most of the time I can pick up olfactory, what kind of that wood is going to be as it's burning. Um, outside of mesquite, which I probably have a 50-50, maybe 75% chance of eating something and going, that's mesquite. Everything else is a toss-up, and it's more how heavy or, or not heavy it's on the food and how it's going to affect it. So agree with yeah, me, Ed, here. I was just going to say, mesquite and hickory tend to be pretty strong flavors. Yep, no doubt. Uh, read more about it at AmazingRibs.com. And as Meathead said, next month we will touch on charcoal as well. Meathead, always appreciate the time, and we will see you in June. And I will try not to sleep through it. All right, we'll hold you to that. 
Meathead from AmazingRibs.com and talking about combustion. A lot of great information there. Once again, if you've never visited the website, shame on you. And you should get educated now by going to AmazingRibs.com and check it all out. Robert Moss is ready to go before we get to him. I will talk to you about your barbecue fitness level. What does that mean? Well, if you're listening to the show, you probably like grilling and barbecue. You're probably not that very small percentage of pitmaster who just likes to cook it and not eat it. And maybe you're not exercising and taking care of yourself as much as you should. You realize in your head... You should be doing a better job. You should be getting some cardio in. You should be making some better choices at eating. But who's going to hold you accountable? You? It's not working very well. Hey, lucky for you, my pal and friend of show, backyard barbecue enthusiast and men's health and wellness coach, David McDowell, will help you eat all the barbecue you want all year round and still lose the fat. With David, you have assistance around the clock. He's just a text message, an iMessage, or a WhatsApp message away. He's also available to FaceTime, Zoom, WhatsApp, video chat, whenever you need him, even on short notice. Now, some coaches are charging upwards of $500 a month for a canned diet plan and one to two check-ins per month. What are we talking about here? We want value and help. Partnering with David allows you access to a resource who is available effectively 24-7. But with David, you're not paying 500 a month. You're not paying 400 a month. How about this? Can you invest something in yourself? How about $200 a month for somebody that's going to hold you accountable? You put in the work. You can ask him questions. You can call him and tell him you're going out to eat. You don't know what to get. Send me a, send him a picture of the menu. He'll give you suggestions. And he's a great cook at home. So this isn't just some guy blowing smoke. He knows what he's talking about. He's in shape, but he's eating the way he wants to eat too. He knows what to do. You know you need to be a little bit better. He can help you hold yourself accountable doing that. How do you do it? DavidLeans.com. That's David Leans, not fat, Leans, L-E-A-N-S. DavidLeans.com slash BBQ to sign up right now. You still have many, many months left, seven months left in the year plus change. So you can get yourself on the track Right now, davidleans.com slash bbq. That's davidleans.com slash bbq. We're back with Robert Moss right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show, presented by the Ryder Deluxe Pellet Grills from Oklahoma Joe's. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. This portion being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. You can also visit Amazon.com to purchase as well. But we suggest going to CookinPellets.com. Hey, my next guest is the contributing barbecue editor for Southern Living Magazine. Also authors The Q Sheet, which you can subscribe to and read, and is also a new restaurant critic. Let's go ahead and hit the Oklahoma Joe Smoker Hotline and welcome back to the show, friend of show, Robert Moss. Hey, Robert. Hey, Greg. So I was talking with Meathead a little bit ago, and he... 
unsolicited uh, weighed in on the <laughs> mayo grilled cheese and butter grilled cheese, which we're going to be talking about here in a second. Last month we were talking. I had asked you if you had done mayo on the outside of the bread. That seemed to be a new slash foreign concept to you. Then you were going to go ahead and give it a whirl here before we rejoined, which is now this month. Meathead said he's tried both many times. He likes both. But in the end, for him, butter is the better tasting grilled cheese sandwich. So as someone who was tasked to figure out what they liked best for their palate, how did the mayo versus butter grilled cheese challenge go for you? Well, it's, it's, it's an interesting challenge, and, and so I tried to do it as a blind taste test, at least not blind for me since I cooked the grilled cheese, but I had a, a tester who, so I tasted them side by side knowing what the answer was and and had a, a uh, assistant help me with uh, with tasting them. Um, I'll, I'll leave you a little bit of suspense. Uh, we talked about, we're turning this into the, the Mayo Central show, I'm, I'm aware of, yeah, but um, right. we, we uh you know, we talked about leaving butter on the counter, so my butter is on the counter, nice and soft. So I, I spread them on. When you put mayo and butter on, they look almost identical on the bread. You can almost not tell them apart. Put them in the pan. They both toasted up nice and brown. Um, in order to tell them apart, I put, put a toothpick in one and, and gave it to my uh, my subject, and I tasted them myself. I have to say, out of the gate, um, you could definitely tell a little bit of a difference between the two. Uh, both knowing what they were and someone who didn't know which was which could tell, could guess which one was the mayo. Mm. Um, I think we both had a similar experience right out of the gate eating into it, which is the, the mayo had a little bit of a tang to it, had a little bit of a flavor. She had no problem guessing which one was the, the mayo sandwich. And um, got to admit, out of the gate, butter, a little more buttery, a little better. But the real difference was the further you went with each uh, progressive bite butter better and better huh. mayo less and less effective to the point where it gets to almost an unpleasant flavor i think it may have something to do with, with the bread cooling so i'd have to be with meathead on this one mm. uh butter thumbs up butter wins way. the day all right butter wins for me so it, uh, mayo was law of diminishing return first bite okay and and you, that every other bite subsequently you're chasing the first bite but the third bite is worse and the fifth bite is yeah. worse than that and there you go yeah, and I had like mm. you know each had a half. So by yeah, you know, but I looked down and I had like eaten, you know, almost all of the butter and the you know mayo is still a half a sandwich left. So and it's what a struggle to the last bit. So so uh, the butter butter wins out. I mean, if you had no butter and you were trying to make a grilled cheese sandwich, I suppose it could be like a you know one of the Civil War substitutes you had to do uh, back in the day. <laughs> but I, I would go for butter out of the gate. <laughs> would you say they toasted up? similarly i found that the mayo almost, always almost identical oh all right i've always found that the mayo toast better a, i have a theory about that all because right. i was thinking about that later i was like they really were almost, almost identical but if you recall from our dukes versus hellman's uh discussion the big difference is there's sugar in hellman's and craft and other mayo and dukes does not have uh sugar in it and of course i was being in south Carolina, i was using dukes so it could be a little caramelization you're getting from the sugar with the other mayos, which may be why it toasts up nicer. So in the interest of science, mm -hmm. I may have to go invest in a jar of, uh, you know, some sort of Hellman's or other, other mayo with, uh, with sugar in it and see if that makes a difference. Well, I am a mayo snob and I have not used may, uh, Hellman's or Duke's in at least four or five years. Uh, to me, it's only Kewpie mayo, which is the Japanese mayo that I get at the Japanese grocer. So if you have one around you, I would add that to the continued 
study it, it's, list. It's on my list. I've actually looked at every grocery store I've been in since our conversation, and it's not in the Mayo Isle. It's not in the international food mm-hmm. section. So I think I'll have to go to the specialty. Uh, we, we do have a, an Asian market nearby, so I'll go there and, and try that out as well. So we'll, we'll have to have a full lineup here, uh, yeah, maybe, in, maybe before the June show. All right, so we have uh, potentially a third month of at least touching on a Mayo topic, which is probably something we didn't think was going to be born out of this from last month, but uh, anxiously following the leads where they take us. Another topic this evening, Robert, is pork, but for barbecue folks, and potentially regionally this differs, I think of pork in a couple different ways. I think pork tenderloin. I think pork chops, which I'm not a huge fan of, but I can appreciate a properly cooked pork chop. But usually for me in the barbecue realm, it's either ribs of some sort or it's a pork shoulder, which ultimately gets taken down into pulled pork. But there's also, especially like where you are, uh, chopped pork. And those these terms are not interchangeable. Pulled pork is not chopped pork. Chopped pork is not pulled pork. So what's the, the history and backstory of pulled pork and chopped pork and where they differ? Yeah, this this come up a lot lately because I'm, I'm starting to get, you know, become more and more of a crank about, uh, you'll see that if you read the cue sheet, I'll often will make cr- wisecracks about pulled pork versus chopped pork. And being a Carolinian, I'll say chopped pork is a, is a proper way. Very, very different. Um, and up until really the last 20 years or so, um, was a very regional thing. That was sort of like brisket spreads as spread everywhere. Pulled pork has as well. Here in the Carolinas, I still remember when I was probably, you know, probably the 90s, um, when the first time I heard pulled pork, and I think I was like a lot of people, it was a weird, funny sounding term, sound a little bit maybe slightly dirty. A lot of people could make little, <laughs> little risque jokes about it. Because in the 90s, a lot of people in the Carolinas never really heard of, heard of the term. Um, you know, in the Carolinas, we chop pork, which means we, we actually take it. We, we might pull it off the bone, but it goes on a chopping block. If you ever seen Sam Jones from Skylight Inn or, yep. or just go to any, basically, you know, any of the restaurants in Lexington, they got big old cleavers and big old, you know, wooden chopping blocks and they're chopping it up. Some, you know, fine mints, some a little bit rougher chop, but it's getting chopped up with cleavers. They aren't pulling it off the, the, the shoulder in big chunks. So you'll, you'll find it in Texas pork is sort of the the classic in texas i did go back a couple years ago um there was a a a guy uh martin sismar i think his name is right so about barbecue a lot for kansas city magazine he had noted um in an article that pulled pork was increasingly taking over in kansas city whereas in kansas city up until really up until the early 2000s uh you would the most of the often form of pork, uh, pork you would find on menus was ham. You can always get city ham sort of cooked on a or smoked on a barbecue pit. But increasingly, he was writing that you know that pulled pork was appearing, which is something no one in Kansas City had ever you know had on on barbecue menus, and was starting to people were starting to give up the ham because it wasn't selling, and everybody was coming in and order the pulled pork. So it's definitely taken off in in the last you know twenty years or so. Like most things driven by the internet and TV and and, and cookbooks and everything else, or the the national media. But um, it actually goes back. I, I would so I got, I got into it and traced traced all the way back to the early seventies. And the roots of pulled pork was actually in West Tennessee, and it was used in West Tennessee, which was whole hog country in Tennessee back then, mm. to differentiate from the kind of uh, pork you might get in Memphis, which would be pork shoulder that was chopped with cleavers. And they would actually pull it off the hog. If you ever seen anybody pull you know pork off of a whole hog in log strands, that's that's sort of where the the, the name came from. And it's sort of the, the Kroger grocery store chain started 
picked up on at some point and sort of spread from West Tennessee sort of outward from there. And then by the 1990s, 2000s, uh, writers from other places started picking up on the term and, and it sort of spread. So I'm pretty getting pretty, um, I don't know, dogmatic, I guess, that that if you're in the Carolinas, at least, uh, you know, if you get your pork, have it chopped. Uh, don't ask for pulled pork because uh, that's not that's an invasive uh, species in these parts. Is it a wrong statement to say that, especially if where you are, South Carolina, North Carolina, that pork breadbasket of the country, more times than not, you're getting some kind of whole hog, which has, at least from my research and watching, lent itself to a more chopped product, whereas a pulled pork, you're just getting that Boston butt, um, and that can be easily pulled out. I mean, you can chop it too, but... It, is there a difference between like the yeah, whole animal and just the the piece? I, I'd say it's actually uh, historically. I think it's a little bit the, the, the reverse, actually, um, which is you know, again West Tennessee, where pulled came from. They were actually pulling off the whole hog. It was a way of sort of pulling it off in those in those long strands. And the Piedmont, North Carolina, which is the you know heart of pork shoulder territory in the Carolinas. There's no whole hog in in the middle part of North Carolina. It's all pork shoulders. Um, they they chop it. You know, there's no there's no pulling there. Um, if you go to eastern North Carolina, if you go down into much of South Carolina where they're cooking whole hogs these days, and whole hog is not nearly as common anymore as, as pork shoulder just because it's, it's so hard to do and time consuming, but there's still a good bit of it. I would say the vast majority of the whole hog cooks are pulling it off, throwing it on and, and chopping it with, with cleavers into, into mm-hmm. fine bits, particularly in eastern North Carolina. Um, there are some exceptions to that. Scott's Barbecue in Hemingway, South Carolina, which is uh, where Roddy Scott got his start before he became a nationwide barbecue restaurateur. They do actually pull it. They don't call it pulled pork. They call mm-hmm. it barbecue. But they actually do pull it off the, the whole hog on the pit in the strands. But most of the other whole hog cooks, at least the, the, the well-known restaurants, they're, they're throwing it on a board with a cleaver and chopping it to bits. And uh, in some places like at Skylight Inn in, in Aden, they actually are seasoning it with with uh, vinegar and, and uh, hot pepper, uh, salt and pepper, and, and chopping the, all that right into the meat as they're as they're chopping it in. So I would say whole hog is actually probably, at least in the Carolinas, the more common way of doing it than than pulling. It. Is it just texture from a mouthfeel? Is that the only difference between that and pulled? Yeah, it's two things. I think texture is one piece of it, but it's also you know, te- you know Texas and and other you know. Basically, places where you're using offset smokers tend to, you know, there's no sauce on the product, right? Until maybe you serve it and you put sauce on it. You know, in the Carolinas, most barbecue, almost all barbecue, at least traditional barbecue, is sauced before it's served to you. In the case of some whole hog cooks, uh, they're actually saucing it on the pit and mixing it in. In a lot of other cases, uh, like like when you're cooking shoulders, you pull it off on the chopping block and you're actually mi- mixing the sauce in with it while you chop it and here where I am in, in the middle part of South Carolina, they're mixing in uh, mustard based barbecue sauce. So when you go to the you know restaurant, it's already got, you know, the, the pork is already yellow because it's been chopped with a lot of mustard sauce already mixed in. Interesting stuff here. We're talking with Robert Moss, robertfmoss.com, his website. You can also sign up for the cue sheet that he writes as well. A couple minutes left here, so let's go ahead and talk tomorrow. We are announcing with Emily Park here on the show an exclusive a nine finalists uh, that will be in contention for uh, three of them getting into the 2022 Barbecue Hall of Fame here. And everyone is awaiting who the finalists might be so we can argue over the next uh, two and a half, three weeks of who should be inducted this year. You said on that panel, work through the main tank of mm-hmm. names. 
So how do you feel it went this time around? And are you satisfied with the names chosen? Uh, yeah, I thought really, really well. Um, just, you know, for reference, people may not know the process. Um, it's sort of open nominations as an online web form and anybody who wants can, can go and, and nominate, you know, people they think are worthy to be considered for, for nominations. And then there's the, the committee, which I'm on, which is about six or seven of us. Um, and we basically take that big funnel of names and whittle them down to, to nine. And then those will go before the full uh, voting panel, which is actually all the past uh, inductees. So all the Fame members, at least, uh, will get get a chance to vote on those. So our job is really to take the the big long list, if you were down to nine, and put it on. Um, I th- it was a really enjoyed doing the the panel, not just because you know I like to weigh in, but because I actually learned an awful lot. We have some really knowledgeable people on the panel, and as we're going through and talking about all the different people, I learned a lot about uh, people who may I may not be as familiar with. Um, so I thought that we had great conversation. I thought the the balance came out really nice. We had some very tough choices. It's really tough to narrow it down to nine. But I do think at the end, all of us, at least, you know, I, I think we all agreed when we looked at this is a strong list and we feel like it's a, you know, a good slate for the the, the full the full panel to to choose from. I'm not going to ask you to reveal any names here because we only have to wait a short time until tomorrow to learn it all of ourselves here exclusively on the Barbecue Central show. But who was left off? the list this year that you think should have been on? Who was somebody that maybe you championed that nobody else bought into? I can't tell you that. You are going to lure me into that. What are you talking about? It doesn't matter. (laughs) They're not on the list. (laughs) Who's your favorite that didn't get in? Anyone who who I championed uh, would be on the list (laughs) because I I would browbeat everyone into accepting it. But no, I don't, I don't, I can't say that there's anybody who's not on the list who I, I think it's a grave injustice that they weren't. I think there are a lot of people in the bubble but if I tell you who those are, that will give away who the list is. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil Emily's surprise for a second year in there. All right. So, yeah, well, I certainly appreciate that more than anybody since semi-famous Dave decided to ruin it for everybody last year. In the meantime, you can find Robert Moss over at robertfmoss.com. Sign up for the Q sheet and you can find him here on the second Tuesday of the month, the 35 past the first hour segment. Robert, always appreciate the time of the conversation. We'll do it again in June. All right. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. You got it. All guests appear via the Oklahoma Joe's Rider Deluxe Pellet Grills Hotline. And that's Robert Moss right there, of course. RobertFMoss.com's website, as I had mentioned. And be sure to sign up for that cue sheet. Lots of great reads, info, deep dives, medium dives. And it sounds like we might hit on Mayo again next month, which is even better. Let me talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grills, some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today, a choice line and a prime line, depending on what you're looking to spend, what kind of features and benefits that you're looking for. That is going to dictate which line you want to get. Only sold through dealers, so go to GreenMountainGrills.com, find a dealer near you, and then ask that dealer, which one should I buy? They'll ask you, what are you looking for? How many people are you going to feed? How often do you think you're going to use it? Do you want any technology? All these educational tools that they have been trained from Green Mountain Grill with will now help you pick the best one that's right for you. No buyer's remorse here. No, no. Once you leave with whatever one you choose, you'll know that it is specifically for your needs. You'll be educated on how to use it. You'll have success right out of the box. And maybe you go somewhere where it's not success out of the box. You can just take it home already put together so you can have success right on your patio or on your deck whatever it is that you cook on or wherever it is you cook. 
You can go to the website GreenMountainGrills.com, get spices, rubs, sauces, other accessories to complete your Green Mountain Grill cooking experience. But in any event, pellet cookers are all the rage right now. I mean, look here on this show, Green Mountain Grills, Yoder, newest sponsor of the show, Oklahoma Joe, just to name a few. So they are absolutely going popular and more popular each and every year. Everybody in my neighborhood has at least one or two cookers, and one of them is typically a pellet cooker, varying makes and models. So do this. Go to GreenMountainGrill.com, find a dealer near you, visit the dealer, and then you're off and running from there. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. And we hope to hear the ruling from the ITC soon on the rulings of patent infringement. So I will keep you up to date there. Follow me socially. We're back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Fireboard. You can monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. You connect to Wi-Fi, you connect to a cloud-based monitoring, or you connect via the Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant, you're in luck because Fireboard fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. That's fireboard.com. And around the 10.35 p.m. Eastern time tonight, you have your chance of winning a Fireboard Spark. $150 retail. Plus, there's usually shipping on top of that, so probably approaching seven, $800 in total prize value. You can win one free here. We'll play athlete or porn star. You will join me through Clubhouse. I will give you a name. You will tell me if it's an athlete or a porn star. We can find out who the pervs are or who the sports geeks are. And through all of that, you have a chance of winning a Fireboard Spark, which is the ultimate goal here. All right, we thank Meathead for joining us in the first interview segment here about 30 minutes ago, 40 minutes ago. And then, of course, Robert Moss joining us last segment, talking a little bit about mayo, talking about chopped pork and pulled pork, and then ending it on talking about a great and robust conversation and decision-making process over the nine finalists for the Barbecue Hall of Fame, which will be announced on the show tomorrow. We will have a special Wednesday edition at 3 p.m. Eastern. Well, we will, well, where we will reveal who those nine semi or who those nine finalists are. They will be sent out to all of the living members of the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Also, the names committee, everybody will vote for their top three. And then whoever three gets the most votes will make up the 2022 class of the Barbecue Hall of Fame. So tell all your friends, tell all your neighbors, nobody tell Famous Dave, don't it? Leave him out of it. American Royal, leave him out of the announcements tomorrow. Don't send him any updates. That's going to be exciting. This is, I believe, the, f- the third year? I want to say it might be the fourth year in a row that we've done the unveilings of the finalists and then a couple weeks after that, the finals. Refresh libations. We're headed to the second hour. Stick around. We'll be right back.